Welcome back to another episode of Sepsis Voices with me, Dr. Ron. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Daniels, and the founder and joint chief executive of the UK Sepsis Trust. Now, World Animal Protection have recently released a report entitled Is Factory Farming Killing Us? Which is a great title. And it shows that almost 2,000 human deaths in the UK can be attributed to the overuse of antibiotics on factory farms. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Lindsay Duncan, who's World Animal Protection's UK Farming Campaigns Manager. She's working toward a reduction in meat consumption to sustainable levels and an end to factory or intensive farming globally. Lindsay recently worked on World Animal Protection's research into antimicrobial resistance in meat and in the environment in the UK. And she's calling for a ban on the overuse of antibiotics on our British farms. Lindsay's also been working to improve the lives of wild and farm animals as a volunteer and employee of UK and global animal welfare charities for over a decade through research and campaigning. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lindsay. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So could you give us an overview of this report and, and really how prevalent the use of antibiotics in global food supply chains is? Absolutely. Um, so globally, around 75% of antibiotics are used on farms. So not for human medicine, as you might uh, imagine. Um, but this uh, level of use on farms is unfortunately routine. So it's uh, mainly used on factory farms routinely, and it's a low level dose of antibiotics given to whole herds of animals to prevent them from getting sick. And this is exactly what we don't want. What we want to see is animals being diagnosed with illness, being treated individually or in a group if necessary um, for that in illness with uh, specific antibiotics known to help in that case. Unfortunately, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing this overuse, which is irresponsible and is leading to uh, an increased risk of AMR globally. Uh, our new report focuses very much on the UK, and we wanted to see uh, what antibiotic use on farms in the UK uh, would impact in terms of human health, uh, but also the UK economy. So we took existing data of antibiotic use on farms um, and also illnesses in humans. So this is all data that's publicly available um, from government agencies. And we uh, modelled it to see what impact that was really happening on human health. And as you said, uh, we found that antibiotic use associated with uh, salmonella and E. coli infections in humans is causing nearly 2,000 deaths a year. And this is also causing uh, over 1.3 billion cost to the UK economy. And we can absolutely change this. We can start using antibiotics responsibly and massively reduce this impact. And this is astonishing, isn't it? And, and many people listening will have been completely unaware of this. I mean, I've been in this space for some time. I uh, probably a decade or so ago worked with Compassion in World Farming and the Soil Association on their E. coli superbugs report. But at that time, the conversation was really around the inappropriate use of antibiotics as growth promoters. But this, this use 
globally as a sort of prophylactic to prevent infection. That's that's surely akin to us giving all school children antibiotics just in case one of them develops an infection. It, it's absolutely at odds with the progress we're trying to achieve on antimicrobial resistance, isn't it? Absolutely. And you can see a real change in the way that antibiotics are being prescribed and being recommended for human use. As you say, you wouldn't just give antibiotics to a whole class in a school. Um, assuming that they're going to get sick because the conditions that they are being schooled in are so bad. But that is essentially what we're doing here on farms. We know the conditions are poor enough that illness is essentially inevitable. So the easiest way to deal with it is to give low levels of antibiotics to whole herds to prevent that illness. Um, and what we really want to see is animal welfare raised. So that's giving animals the space and the environment that they need to lead good lives. Um, and this uh, this isn't just about space, um, but honestly, uh, the way in which uh, particularly chickens and pigs are farmed here in the UK at the moment. They are cramped into barns. Um, pigs are still put into cages. Laying hens um, can still be caged as well. And it, it affects your immune system in the same way that it would for, for humans. Stress and, and fear can really have an impact on your ability to fight illnesses. And it's the same with animals. Um, and we want to see this ended. We want to see welfare raised so that we can completely phase out this overuse of antibiotics. And so we, we've talked about use in animals and obviously that's what we're focusing on. But what's the impact on human health of the use of antibiotics and in intensive farming? And, and, and what's the evidence behind this? Um, so, as you know, any time bacteria come into contact with antibiotics, it increases that risk of them becoming resistant. And if they become resistant and they continue to breed, you then have far more bacteria that are resistant to the antibiotics we would use to treat any illness that they cause. Um, and this is happening all the time on farms. And those bacteria can come off the farms in multiple different ways. So it can come through our meat. We did meat testing and uh, found uh, quite extraordinary levels of uh, resistant bacteria in our meat. Now, most of the time we kill that bacteria by cooking the meat. But unfortunately, we do know that food poisoning is still quite prevalent here in the UK, um, either through undercooking or through cross-contamination at time when you're preparing your meal. Um, so this is raising the risk for humans. Um, bacteria also comes off the farm through the manure that the animals create. And this can be spread on fields, it can go directly into our waterways, um, and it can move through the environment. And there are multiple different opportunities for it to come into contact for humans here as well. And obviously it's putting farm workers at risk as well, and they will be taking it off the farm with them too. And I, I've worked with um, a commercial company who undertake testing and, and it's even quite common for antibiotics to be present in the milk that we drink, isn't it? 
Yes, unfortunately, the antibiotics, so the active ingredient of antibiotics can come through the milk, as you say, and be excreted through manure as well. So those antibiotics are also then present in our food and in the environment too. And again, that increases the opportunity for bacteria to come into contact with them. And actually, bacteria are quite fascinating um, beings in themselves. They are able to transfer that resistance onto other bacteria just by sort of touching them or being in the presence of them and it doesn't even have to be the same species of bacteria so this uh, risk just continues to increase. <laughs> so I think many listeners will be appalled by what they're hearing and, 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 and rightly horrified but I think at, at present the reality is that intensive farming provides a uh, necessary and affordable food source for a lot of people around the world. So are there any alternatives to the routine use of antibiotics if we concede that for the time being we have to have some reliance on intensive farming? So the alternative really is raising welfare. So you can raise welfare within an intensive system. It does mean reducing the number of animals that you are farming. So alongside that, we need to reduce the amount of animal products we're consuming. Um, this doesn't mean that you have to go vegan or, or completely vegetarian or, or any of this, but it does mean that really thinking about reduction um, and increasing the level of, you know, protein that you're getting from plants uh, it doesn't have to be a meat alternative uh, per se you can you can increase the amount of vegetables beans legumes uh, that you're consuming as well um so what we're calling for is uh, a ban on new factory farms being built. We don't want this industry to keep expanding and to raise the welfare on those farms that exist right now, um, just so we can make sure we can get down to that responsible level of use where we're identifying individual sick animals and treating them. So th there's a really important public message in there, isn't there, which is around if we choose to consume meat, as I do, to choose to consume it responsibly. Now, that's that's quite easy and accessible for me because I'm privileged. I have more than one job. I'm, I'm reasonably well paid. I can afford to source meat responsibly and try to avoid in intensively farmed meat. What, what about for people on lower incomes? Is there any advice available to how they can consume meat more responsibly? Because I think a lot of the public won't have realised that one of the simple life changes they can make to have direct impact on the threat of antimicrobial resistance is actually to consume meat more responsibly. Absolutely. And it is harder if you are on a lower income. There is no getting away from that. Right now, um, particularly meat alternatives can be a bit pricier than than the meat available. And if you're if you're looking after your budget, then you're going for the the lowest priced meat, which will inevitably be the lowest welfare as well. Um, and again, this is this is looking to diversify where you're getting your protein from. So really looking at the plants that you can bring in that are more affordable. So beans, legumes, nuts, uh, these are the way forward, really, um, if you're if you're trying to do this on a budget. Um, but also there is a responsibility for the retailers there to make sure that those alternatives are accessible and affordable for everybody. Absolutely. And so are retailers doing enough around this to ensure that um, not only they have high quality protein 
um, available to people at reasonable price, but also to ensure that their food chains are antibiotic free? We want to see more. So pretty much all supermarkets have uh, responsible antibiotic use policies, um, but they don't really go far enough. We know that they're collecting data, but they don't publish it uh, to the public, to their customers. And we want to see them starting to do this more. Um, and we want to, to make sure that they are um, making sure that that the alternatives are there and available across the country. So not just in affluent areas, not just in big cities, um, but if people are really looking to reduce those sort of ready meals, those alternatives are, are there and on the shelf and are priced competitively. Yeah, and, and so we're talking about the UK today, but are there some really great examples are there some countries that are doing this really well or who've made fantastic progress and you know are there any regions of the world or countries that we really need to focus on improvement um so in terms of countries that are doing really well it's some of our neighbors so particularly in scandinavia um you can see sweden have massively reduced the amount of antibiotics they're using they are um much more <laughs> much closer to the responsible levels that we want to see. And they've really done this through improving welfare. Um, and this is what we need to see the rest of Europe doing. And we're seeing um, uh, other neighbours such as Germany um, and other countries moving towards, you know, cage-free systems, making sure that welfare is, is fundamentally ingrained in, in the regulations there. Um, and we need to be doing this here in the UK as well. In terms of countries where um, we're seeing far higher levels of use of antibiotics than, than we do here in the UK, that would be the US, it would be um, Australia. It's unfortunately a lot of the countries where we're looking to make new trade deals. And we need to make sure that welfare and antibiotic use are very strongly um, written into these trade deals because essentially we're just exporting the problem. Um, and as we were saying, you know, antibiotics and resistant bacteria can can survive in the meat itself, in the products itself, and we'd be importing those. Thank you. And obviously you've mentioned primarily high income countries there. What about low to middle income countries or low and middle income countries? Are the challenges different in resource poor nations compared to resource rich ones? I think the challenges around factory farming are fairly consistent around the world. Um, I think the main challenges are around regulations, particularly around regulations uh, to do with medications in feed and water. Um, this is how these antibiotics are distributed to, to whole herds of animals. Um, and you need to make sure that the the antibiotics and the dosage is correct that you're giving <laughs> um, if you are doing this level of antibiotic use. Um, and that can't always be guaranteed if the checks aren't in place, if the regulations aren't, aren't being enforced enough, I guess. So um, there are there are more challenges around the world. Also, not all countries have banned antibiotic use as growth promoters. You mentioned this right at the beginning. Uh, the EU banned this in 2006. We didn't see the, the drop in antibiotic use we expected from this happening. Um, but many, many countries still use antibiotics as growth promoters. Um, and this is affluent as well as um, developing countries. 
Yeah. And, you know, I obviously can't speak for everyone listening, but I imagine there's at least a sort of a groundswell of people listening that that are really quite incensed by this, that we are feeding animals antimicrobials both prophylactically and as growth promoters and, and that those antimicrobials are coming into our food chain. So we, we talked about public awareness and around, you know, perhaps a drive toward more responsible meat consumption. We've talked about the fact that that might be more challenging for people on lower incomes than, than, than for people who enjoy higher incomes. Um, what role do you think governments have here in getting this behavioural change achieved? I think governments are imperative to this. Um, one of the things that we have really been pushing for is regulations around uh, responsible use. Uh, we did see proposed regulations come out from the Veterinary Medicines Directorate earlier this year uh, in January. Uh, it's possibly last year if you're listening now. Um, and these regulations mirror some that have been brought into the EU. So this would be a ban on the routine use of antibiotics. It unfortunately doesn't go as far as we'd like it to to. It doesn't ban the prophylactic use of antibiotics, which is what we want to see to make sure there are no loopholes there. In terms of getting them on board uh, with the behaviour change of responsible meat consumption, of that reduction that we need to see, um, they are really important here as well uh, through policies, um, through procurements for, for hospitals, for schools, um, for, for prisons, you know, and really driving that change at policy level uh, to see a reduction. Uh, Henry Dimbleby's food strategy actually recommended a 30% meat reduction by 2031. Um, and unfortunately, this wasn't adopted by our government. Um, his recommendations were ignored. And we really, really want to see these incorporated because it's very much needed to, to push the country in that direction. Yeah. And what about international agencies? I mean, there's a lot of focus and obviously at the time of recording COP28 is, is happening. And there's a lot of focus around the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And, you know, you, you just look at the first few sort of abolish poverty, abolish hunger, good health and well-being. These are all directly relevant to what we're talking about. So what about international law, international regulation? What role do agencies like the United Nations and the WHO have to play in this? And 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 should this be more directly linked to the international focus on antimicrobial resistance? Absolutely, it should be. Um, we've seen the United Nations, so COP28 is the, the first COP to actually um, announce an agriculture um, declaration. Um, we have been attending COP and pushing for this for a while. Um, I've got a team out there at the moment who've been uh, making uh, our voice heard there, which has been fantastic to see. Um, but it is very slow. It, it's not really going far enough at the moment. Um, and obviously, at COP, it's, it's being very much linked to the climate impact um, of, of the overproduction of, of meat, essentially. 
Um, in terms of the World Health Organization, they have called for um, the end of routine antibiotic use as well. Um, so they have been fairly vocal in this, but again, they could definitely do more. And I think what's really missing is establishing what responsible use looks like, how much that is, what practices that really means on the farm. Um, you know, we're talking about banning the worst of the use, but we also need to show that this is this is what we want. This is what we should be aiming for. And just coming back to to retailers for a moment, but obviously this this also links to to public behaviour. And uh, again, at the time of recording, there was a BBC report out this morning around the environment environmental impact of our food choices and sort of urging us to to choose more locally produced foodstuffs. So. Um, what about it? You know, we're aware of some retailers that have achieved great success in reducing antibiotics in the food chain with related relation to their domestically sourced meat products. But it's a real challenge for them to achieve the same for those meat products that come from overseas. So do we think that we need to incentivize retailers sourcing only domestically produce meat. Do you think that would be a part of the solution as well? Um, I'm not sure about sourcing only domestically produced meat, but I think we should absolutely be transparent about where meat comes from. So right now, labelling it for uh, origin of meat is only needed on fresh meat. So if you're buying raw chicken or something, it has to say where it's come from. Um, that isn't needed for a lot of uh, the meat that we consume, ready meals, processed meat, frozen meat, you know, they don't have to say where this comes from. And this is where a lot of the imported meat ends up. Um, and having that transparency on where it comes from and what their policies are for importing, because they can set antibiotic use policies for imported meat as well. They can have an influence on reducing antibiotic use overseas. Um, and we can, in our trade deals, have that influence as well. You know, we can we can do better here in the UK, but we can also influence other countries to do better as well. I think that's a really important point and obviously extremely topical right now in the in our current political climate within the UK. So we've agreed that uh, it would be responsible for members of the public to think about how they they change their behaviour, you know, perhaps to go back to um, a, a pre Second World War state where where meat was a luxury to, to consume on a Sunday and, and not any other day of the week, for example. But how do we really get the emotional connection of our public about uh, around this? Because you and I know that antimicrobial resistance is an existential threat. Dame, Dame Sally Davies has recently said it's a more immediate existential threat than climate change. And obviously the two in this context are interrelated. But how do we get that emotional connection? How do we get the public to care about this like they do about plastics in the ocean? It's a really good question. It's a difficult one to answer. I think some of the challenges we have around AMR 
is that it is complex. It's a difficult thing to get your head around. It's not as clear as, say, the COVID-19 pandemic. This is a virus doing this. Um, you're trying to explain to people that actually the, the medications that you've relied on your entire life that allow you to get a hip replacement, that allow you uh, to have treatments for infections, that um, prop up so much of um, the kind of medical interventions that we take for granted now might disappear and it's not might they are disappearing and for a lot of people they're already being impacted and I think this is what we were really trying to get across with this report you know it, it's not just about animal welfare it's really really intrinsically linked to our own well-being as well this is impacting us this is causing early deaths for humans this is this is causing untreatable infections that have huge impacts on our way of life and and our quality of life as well and i i think it's it's about how we engage our children and i think you you've you've hit the nail on the head there this is this is not talking to our children about the fact that they might not be able to safely have a hip replacement when they're 80 years old, because that's intangible to them. That's a <laughs> quite literally a lifetime away. And, and, and they don't think about that. This is about the now. It's, it's about the fact that in hospitals up and down the UK right now, there are multiple patients in every hospital who have infections that are resistant to antibiotics. It's about communicating the fact that if you live in a more deprived area of a large city, your E. coli bugs, which are the ones that are very common causes, for example, of urinary tract infection, have 40% resistance to first line therapies. Whereas if you live in a higher income area, then that resistance is, in inverted commas, only 20% rate. So I think it's about communicating that this is an immediate threat. It's a threat that's affecting hundreds of patients in our hospitals today right now and then if we don't act on it collectively as a society then it is going to mean that everybody who develops a life-threatening infection will die as a consequence of it and it and it really is to me it's about being that stark and it's about giving our public these small changes to their behavior that mean they can impact on it a bit like recycling responsibly and the plastics in the ocean isn't it it's uh, you know absolutely do, do you think we need to just change this message to make it immediate and personal i think making it immediate and personal is is absolutely what we have to be doing and it's not just about making it immediate. It's not just about the doom and gloom message of, you know, this is impacting people now. People are dying now. People are getting infections that cannot be treated right now in hospitals in the UK. That is the reality. But it's also about giving them hope that there is a way to tackle this. There are alternatives. This doesn't have to be the inevitable for us, right? Um and this is why we want we want the regulations from government. We want people to start thinking about the the, the way they can change their diets to be more sustainable uh, for animals, for the planet, and for us, for our health as well. And I, I absolutely agree, Lindsay. And and this is only my personal view, but I, I think this is just so important. And the work you're doing in this space is so important. We we've got to get society to change. It's not just about driving an electric vehicle to make yourself feel that you're contributing to the environment. It's it's more accessible, affordable 
and simple lifestyle changes that we can make. And, and I think it's just so important. Again, that is only my personal view. Lindsay, th that is all we've got time for today. I, I really want to thank you for your time and thanks to our listeners as always for listening. If you'd like more information about the UK Sepsis Trust's stance on antimicrobial use, then head to our website, sepsistrust.org. But you can also find out more about the important work of World Animal Protection at worldanimalprotection.org.uk. Thank you so much.